Hey everybody, Matthew here from MiniWarGaming.com and welcome to the next episode of the Wargaming Game Master. I've got Steve here, once hello. again, joining me. You can say hello again. I, did, I, hello. I was talking over you. Hello. Oh, hello. I talked over you again. Hello. Hello everybody, hello. <laughs> we are professionals. <laughs> <laughs> we are technically... They heard, they heard us both. We're technically... Us both. We make at least a dollar from these videos, so we have been paid to do this. We are professional podcasters, professional people. Professional podcasters. Just deal with it, all right? Barely speak English or enunciate a word. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, or have camera works. Who knows? Who knows? Whatever. <laughs> so anyways, um, last week we talked about inspirations for your stories for narrative campaigns. I'd like to continue with kind of the little series within the series of how to create narrative campaigns. And today we will be talking about writing and adapting rules from existing sources. Uh, a couple of quick announcements first. Uh, this episode is brought to you by the Mini Wargaming Vault because the Vault members are awesome. And if you are a Vault member, thank you so much. If you're a viewer, that's that's great too. But if you want to really support us, consider joining the Vault. You can try it out for a seven-day free trial. Get access to our narrative campaigns, all the extra battle reports, painting tutorials if you choose the silver level, all that stuff. Just go to miniwargaming.com and click on join the vault up at the top there take a few minutes fill up with information you will not regret it i promise and uh, we need you this is that's our livelihood youtube revenue sucks it sucks it's not great it sucks <laughs> right steve you make videos they, they don't make no you, money. you make you make videos in your own channel i make coffee money yes right <laughs> yeah right i get a free coffee a month the, a week. The editing software costs more a month than youtube gives me <laughs> <laughs> that's right it's not great it's not great uh also just um a quick announcement, if you're interested in joining us for an enormous Apocalypse game, Apocalypticon 2020 is coming up this April 17th to 18th. you got a six-month leeway, pretty, a little less than six months, to prepare your armies and join us. Go to miniwargaming.com slash challenge. You'll actually find all upcoming events on that page, but you can click on the Apocalypticon one in particular if you're interested in that and go check out all the details. So we'd love to have you, I think, unless you're one of those guys, then please stay at home. I'll play you. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if you're coming for an Apocalypticon, you're probably not one of those guys. That's what we. That's my experience of these, is that uh, it's got the lowest ratio of those guys. Really? Yes, out of everything. Um, because people just, they don't understand that it's a spectacle. I buy those two guys that were in on the weekend. They were awesome. Oh, they, well, yeah, we just, yeah, we just did our, that's right. We just played our Orcpocalypse. It was like uh, 28,000 points of Orcs versus Space Marines and Eldar. It was a stupid amount of fun. And it, was yeah, it was tiring and great, and it was a spectacle, and it was awful and so <laughs> ridiculously fun. That's what apocalypse. So be at the big one, be at apocalypticon, apocalypticon, apocalypticon. Okay, enough of our announcements and our ads and stuff like that. Um, let's talk. Let's talk. So Ellie Bennett sent in a question that prompted what I wanted to talk about today. Super big one, they say. How would you approach a system like Necromunda or Aeronautica Imperialis? I've tried to make an RPG for Necromunda, and the cogs are already spinning and turning away to think of one for Aeronautica Imperialis. So, Ellie, I'm not going to answer your question exactly, because... Uh, you know what? I, I think, I, think I, I can answer the question directly, quickly, and then I want to adapt your question to a wider question, which is... How do you approach a system like anything and adapt rules from it? Because I'm going to tell you right away, if you want to write a narrative campaign and you think that you want to write all the rules from scratch, then you're crazy. 
I just heard a beep, but that's, yeah. it's okay. It's just the camera in the backup recording. Are you sure? We're good. Yeah, okay. it's, still, it's still streaming. We're good. Okay. I swear. I, just heard, I heard a beep. I'm like, oh, no, it beeped again. Anyways, um, if you're going to write rules from scratch, and I mean you write every scenario from scratch, you write your upgrade systems from scratch, you write your background rules from scratch, your character creation rules from scratch, you're nuts. Yeah. You're absolutely nuts. Yeah. I've it's done that. Work. It's hard. And sometimes you get lucky. Death Watch is the first one where I got lucky, and I've even revised that over and over and over again because some of it just didn't work. And so I have found my best success, at least in what I think are my best ones, is where I've taken an existing system and adapted it to what we want to do. And then mix in a whole lot of homebrewing as well. So I want to talk about that today, and then we will also, um, if there's time, do another scenario review from Vigilus. And don't forget, if you want to see all these reviews, you can actually go to miniwargaming.com, click on Tools and Rules, and go to the Wargaming Game Master Reviews. And I will try to keep that document up to date as often as I can, as I do more narrative campaigns in my Nothing But Narrative one. So, I'm going to ask you first, Steve. Mm -hmm. If I said, Steve, I want you to spearhead a Necromunda narrative campaign. Necromunda narrative, eh? What would what would be your first inclinations as how you would approach that? Oh man, okay. And and you could talk both about doing one that's game master driven and one that's not. So you've done the Mordheim one yep. before that was yep. not, and it's basically the same idea. How did you approach that? And how would you approach one where you're like, you know what, in this case I actually want to be the game master and manipulate it? So you want to come from what actually popped in my head right away, or you want to come from yeah, the yeah, rules. Yeah, yeah. Because the first thing I'm thinking when you say Necromunda campaign, I'm thinking, okay, so I want to give backstory to all the war bands. Where I want these people to have a, a names and a reason why it's not warbands, gangs. Yes. A reason why they're 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 a gang, why they're together, and what their goal is going to be in the campaign. So if they give them a goal, I need a overall setting. That can't be just a Necromunda one. I need like okay, so there's a um, something fell from the sky. I don't know. Some, I'm not great at this. Something fell from the sky, whatever. <laughs> and uh, they, this is an important thing. Everybody's got to get. This is the ultimate goal of the, camp, of the campaign. Right. So we got to give them that setting. Or us. fell from the higher hive area. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pushed out the from the higher level, right? <laughs> but either way, uh, give them the overall setting within your settings. More time or Necromunda. Now let's give them your you know micro setting, what they're all doing there, and then give me your backstories of why your gangs are here and where they're going to go. And why, why they care about this like subsetting in the setting. Right. That's the first step, right? No, that's great because you have to give motivation. Uh, often what I find, yes, rules can be exciting. Like if I said, hey, let's do a Blood Bowl League, people will get excited because they love Blood Bowl. They love the rules for Blood Bowl. They love, and they already have pre-written league rules for how your guys develop and people are familiar with that and they like it. That's fine. But um, often that's not usually the, the thing that starts that is the ideas of the story. Hey, wouldn't it be cool to do gang warfare? But there's like this thing that happened and here's the thing that happened and now we're all kind of trying to converge on that area. Or let's play Gorka Morka, but instead of it just being the regular fun, but generic, everybody's just out there trying to do their best. I had the idea, actually I had this idea for a Gorka Morka one where there'd be a game master who would play... Essentially, there is a um, one of the mechs from Mechtown learns of some hidden tech that's really far away, and he assembles all sorts of war bands, and he packs up his shop, and he's basically trucking his shop along, and you've got this journey they have to make to this place. And on this journey, they fight each other, 
but they also fight NPC warbands. And they've always got Mechtown there, so you still get to use the rules for Mechtown because it's kind of... They've, they've got like their big trucks with all their tools that they can repair and they can upgrade. And so they, the campaign would progress through different settings. It's like right now, you're going through Muti territory right now, so now you're fighting all sorts of Muties. Now you're going through the Grot territory, you're fighting all sorts of Grots, and then you get there... And spoiler alert, it's Necrons, because that's the thing that's on Gork and Morkon, is that the, there's that the, that's where the Necrons were first talked about, I believe, in 40k, was on Gork and Morka. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that's, that's taking the Gork Morka and giving it something. And you don't even really have to change much of the campaign rules, but it would require a game master to play all those NPCs. Well, all those small skirmish-scale games for Games Workshop... Already have their backstory built in um, to lab. Okay, so I don't know. I don't know what Necromundas is, but I know what the rest of them are. Right. For example, Mordheim is the Empire city of Mordheim, and a meteor crashed. Uh, it was full of weird stone, and now there's little shards of weird stone scattered throughout Mordheim. So when you make your war band in Mordheim, everybody's goal is the same thing. You are going into Mordheim, a dead city, to gather weird stone shards because they're valuable. We're selling them. These, these are just privateers. These are just uh, tre- uh, treasure hunters. Um, I'm sure Necromunder has their own as well. It's, so it's, you can that, use that the one's more basic because theirs is just basically it's a bunch of gangs trying to fight it out over territory. That's it, just territory. Yeah. That's there. Uh, yes, there's more stuff it could be about, but essentially the basic story because you're just talking about the basic story of Mordheim. Yeah, but then you could adapt it to do some more of that, just like I said with Gork and Morka. But the basic story of Necromunda is that there's a bunch of gangs trying to eke out a living. Just, I think these these small games work well because their basic story covers. Every possible backstory, so you, you don't have to write something if you don't want to write something. Even Blood Bowl, it's a it's an alternate fantasy universe where the the states war through Blood Bowl instead of actual war. Right. So I mean, like you don't have to. That, uh, maybe I'm giving the wrong advice here, but you don't have to elaborate more on that with Necromunda. It's true, and that's the first part of the answer. Would be for Necromunda, not Aeronautica Imperialis, because right. there's not as much of a campaign system there. And we'll talk about that in a second. Is you can just play it as is, but if you're looking and see, I and, and my first piece of advice is do that first. Play the Necromunda campaign the way it's written, even just a short one, because I've made the mistake too many times of reading the campaign system and then being like, oh, no, that doesn't work. I'm going to change this before I've had to play it. Now, the Dragon Tooth Labyrinth is a little different because their campaign system was very loose and I could ease, and I'm like, it's, I wasn't trying to fix it. I was just trying to make my own and I just kind of borrowed elements from theirs. Whereas my the big one that I think of is Gorkamorka season That's one. That's really the only one. It's it's the it's the only one that was a major one. There's been a couple of times where I've, just... I've made changes and I've It like, was still a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's you're right, you're right. It doesn't I'm not saying it wasn't fun or it wasn't good. People still loved it because most people didn't know the Gorkamorka rules. Anyways. But like the rules were used in episode one. We're not the rules we're using in episode 12. No, <laughs> basically by episode 12, we were using the regular Gork and yes. rules because as I reverted one by one in each of the things. But that, but people watching it, most of them didn't know the I rules. Know. And so it didn't matter. They were just watching the vehicles well, crash into each other. So I would say always play it first as is and then say, you know what? I, I liked it, but like I, I've played the old Necromunda and I've played the new Necromunda. The old one was way more crunchy. Uh, and that, and that, what I mean by that is that territories were actually stuff, and I loved that. That they, you didn't just get generic because in the new Necromunda, you just have a generic number of territories. In the old one, you knew what your territories were. This one is uh, sewers, and so by having that, I get to deep strike one of my guys. Right. This one is an old mine. 
so I can make a little extra money at the end if I'm willing to take the risk in mining it. This one is um, the little underground settlement, and so I can trade a little better by having this one. But that also is the reason that it wasn't really well balanced, because you can get really wonky combinations, but who cares? Yeah. Because you're playing these fun little campaigns. The new one loses those elements, so you may actually look at that and want to reintroduce some of those things, or maybe ignore territories all altogether. And like Steve's idea, say no, there's some resources, so all the gangs kind of pick up and they move over there, and now they're fighting over, over a thing or spot control or over this. And maybe each episode or each um, session, you're fighting over to get a little piece of weird stone. Ask material, but and be that flexible. Gives you some sort of upgrades. Be flexible, even if you change nothing. Like I, we had one. I'm not sure if this was recorded or not. If it was ever a video series, we had one more time campaign. It was more time where we were all just hunting weirdstone. But one of us, it was Luca, um, was just beating the snot out of everybody else's warband nonstop. It was it was one of his characters. Just kept killing everybody. So the rest of the warbands, I think it was Josh, myself, and maybe Colin. Maybe another player, um, where we just kind of like started working together just to kill Luca. We, we stopped caring about um, um, the Weirdstone and went after just that vampire. And the campaign switched from gathering Weirdstone, trying to get rich, to hunting the vampire, hunting more time, stopping everybody else from getting rich. Cool. And be, if you, be, if, be flexible. If you can get that mindset rather than all Things these players being overpowered, yeah. it's like, how do we shift this? Um, Use it in your narrative. Yeah. And see, that's, I think that's a big shift between some of the old campaign uh, stuff that uh, or game stuff that Games Workshop have come out with like the old Necromunda the old Gorkum Worker to the new one is that the old ones things could get out of, ba- get out of hand like that mm-hmm. and they had mechanisms to try to mitigate that like for example if you're playing Gorkum and you show up and that guy's got a, a war band that is twice as strong as you you get all sorts of Bonuses. extra experiences yep. for just you actually almost want to be the one that's the same, underdog same as because you show up and if all you do is say, hi, bye, and you walk away, boom, you yep. got a ton of experience because you faced a really hard warband. Yep. And whereas now it's like things don't die anymore as much. and That's too bad. They don't have as much. So you kind of want to, I would actually suggest, play it once to see how it works and then introduce some more of those hardcore elements that bring back that grittiness. But... In order to do that properly, you have to have know how the system See, already works. That's unfortunate. I don't want to again. I don't want to detract too much, but that's one thing I think is unfortunate about uh, Warcry. Yes, I think uh, same thing. From what I hear, it's it's really solid, nice rule set, uh, plays really nice. But I, I miss. I'm, well, I haven't played. I'm gonna, I'm going to miss the true progression, upgrades, deaths, uh, hindrances, boons, all that stuff. Because they did so, they did a wonderful job with the rules for Warcry, and. I haven't played the campaign system, so I can't fully review it, but just looking at it, is not, it's not a very exciting campaign system. On top of that, I can see why they would have a harder time applying upgrades because they simplified. Rather than you having strength and toughness, number of attacks, um, your weapon skill and blizzard skill, now it's just one roll. They've combined hitting and wounding in, even a, into one single roll. And, um, and so getting your toughness up just by one is a big deal. Getting your number of attacks up by one is a big deal. Whereas in Mordheim, if I said your guy has a plus one, that one guy has a plus one toughness, so you're like, cool, not going to upset the entire balance of the game. But five games Get later, once he's got an extra, he's got two more toughness, <laughs> yeah. and he's got two extra attacks. And an extra weapon skill. Now he's your rock star. But it took you a bunch of games to get there. And guess what? If he has a bad game, 
He could be crippled uh, or one game, and easily one, one strength three arrow can just remove him from the game completely. Right. Like and the you game. You roll that one of the, the six chance on that D66 yep. chart and he dies. Or you roll the 16 and you have to roll D3 things, which essentially make him useless. He's now the super tough guy that has a janky leg and only moves half his distance. I love those. I, me too. Okay, I, I but think... you can also be frustrated and hate them. So I can see why they remove them because it makes it more beginner friendly yes because the veterans will go on forever about these awesome old I campaign suspect rules it's less about being beginner friendly than it is about the models i really do believe this is about the models they're not nearly as modular mm. or modifiable yes. as they were many many, many yes. years ago because the models have gotten in ironically so much better beautiful but static yes Be- because as soon as it's the, it's the same thing with terrain right if you're trying to decide if you're going to build something modular or not modular modular just can't look as good as something that's not modular. Well, they're not producing... I, I, I don't want to get too far. They're not producing the same kits they used to. Like, the Mortime kit was uh, Empire um, Militia. Every weapon was in that kit. The the Skaven Night Runners had every weapon that was in the kit. They had weapons in there, like claws that didn't have rules in Warmer Fantasy. Right. They had, the, the malls, the game was more about the hobby back then. Now, Necromunda is an exception to that. They do have the... the it's it's all two the options packs. per guy... And like from a modeling standpoint, no, it's it's really not the same. You have two options per body, and you again, you can convert. Now there are people with amazing conversion skills who can do anything. Right. They, they can take even like the Iron Golem from Warcry and do some amazing conversions. But like the average person, like like me, I, I'm not a good converter. Where the kits do not lend well to people like me, like I, I can't convert. Them. I can convert them, but they're not going to look that good. Well, the Warcry rules too just wouldn't work with it. Like you look at the profile of the weapon, and that profile is 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 a mix of what the weapon can yeah. do and what the person yeah. can do. And so you're like, well, if I put that weapon on somebody else, what would it look like to them? Do they get the same number of attacks? Their reach is probably the same. I would say that, but the strength even isn't necessarily the same because the strength is going to be based on the, yeah. the, the user. So, But we don't have a strength for the user. We just have a strength for the weapon. We have how well it wounds, but that's a combination of accuracy See, and its, okay. its ability. Be careful because I think you're touching on next week's topic here. Next week is we're, we're, reward we're, and upgrade systems. Yeah, we're going we're going that well, right? Well, if we end up covering both of them in one episode, <laughs> that's okay because that means that they need to be covered together. I, but I'm trying to I'm trying to explain why it is that you have to look at these systems differently, and so you have to make a choice. Necromundo, talking about specifically, you have to make the choice: Do you want to get super crunchy? Is what we call it. Or do you not? And they both have their advantages. The other thing you have to ask is, do I want to be game master running this? Or do I just want this to be a bunch of people playing in one together? They both have their advantages as well. So I would get more excited personally to do a Necromunda or Gorkamorka campaign where I'm the game master. Unless I had just done two or three campaigns as a game master. And then sometimes I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I just want to play. And let's let's just throw down a regular Necromunda um, campaign system and let's have fun. Aeronautica Imperialis does not have a campaign system. They say they do, but they don't. Because they actually, in their campaign system, they're basically just a list of suggestions of what you can do rather than actually giving you a full system. And there's a good reason for that because that game is so simple. How do you represent a lot of progression in it? And that's always the thing that we're talking about here. Territorial map is the only thing you can do. Right, so you could, yes. So you could progress. And you could do minor progression things like they suggest that as a pilot upgrades, his level is how many re-rolls he gets throughout the game. And that's that's it's fine. But a little boring. But it's it's not that it's not effective. It's quite effective. In fact, when you're playing Gorkamorka and your guy that's arming that big shooter gets plus one weapon skill, and you're like, great, thanks. 
I don't want that. And it can be frustrating. Whereas in Aeronautica Imperialis, if your level gains you a reroll, then who cares what your roll was? A reroll is a reroll is a reroll. It's going to be useful. But there's less flavor to it while yes. making it more generically useful. And there's a give and take. And I think you're going to find a divide amongst... Complexity. Of, amongst people who've been playing for a while who want something different and somebody coming in brand new who's perfectly happy to have that be their system because they don't have the experience with anything else. Well, okay, have you... Again, I don't know. I'm not going to say this is for sure, but have you met anybody who wants to play in a campaign system who wouldn't want the complexity? I don't think I've ever met somebody who wants to play the campaign system but likes the super simple one. I think what I would say is I've seen people who don't like the complexity of that system, and they wouldn't necessarily... I don't think they would be aware enough to say, I don't like complexity... They'll just say, I don't like this rule. I don't like this set of rules. And the more complex the system is, the more likely somebody is to find stuff they don't like. About right. Because you know what? Once you get the thing, the part of this is you get invested in these war bands. Yep. And the more invested you get, the more disappointed you get when somebody dies. That's good. But it is good, but it can also just kind of. So but I'm going to ask the question again. So the person who's going to play the campaign, have you ever met one? Like, I want to play a campaign, but not that one. That's too complex. I want to play the super simple one. Mm. I've never met that one. No, definitely not. So if they're gonna if they're gonna play the campaign, give them the the more in depth complex. One. Yeah, like these the simplified campaigns. I don't know who they're catering to. I don't know who the mark. I don't know what the market is for simplified campaigns. I don't know who they're selling well, this like to. Like I said, beginners. I don't think. Okay, yeah. I just if somebody picks up a Warcry book that doesn't have a friend who can for the beginners, walk them through, they're gonna play Warcry and play these one off things. Maybe once you want a campaign again, I, I this is my opinion. I'm not saying this is it, but I think I'm right. Once you get into the campaigns. It's going to be the people who no longer the filthy casual, for lack of a better term. <laughs> filthy casual. You know, the guys who come in and play uh, whatever game on their lunch or whatever. You want to play the campaign. You want the campaign rules. Like, it, the, uh, 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 a, a simple campaign system will turn me off of the game. Now, yeah. again, I'm not yeah. saying because me I... Too. Me too. If it's simple for me, I'm not going to like it. That means nobody should like it. I'm not trying to say that at all. But I think, I think the majority of people who want the campaign, or I think maybe everybody wants the campaign, wants... Everybody, I, I think most people enjoy campaigns. The, 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 the debate whether they like complex or simple, I think, is an ongoing one that we could talk about forever. Because so, you also have to look at it from a business point of view. Um, Games Workshop is interested in making money. And yep. catering to veterans is always a difficult way to grow your business. It's an important one. But the most money is in the new players or newish players, right? Can't like, tell you uh, that. Like, they would have catered better. We're not going to have a huge discussion on this. They would have catered better if Primaris Marines were just redone tactical Marines. Because that means that your existing tactical Marine army is still relevant. Right. But they wanted to make money. I am sure of this. And rightfully so, I think, for their business, they decided, no, no, no. These aren't just bigger kits. Because they've done bigger kits. Terminators have seen upgrades. And they didn't call them something new. They're still Terminators. Right. So this one new one comes out, and they're like, no, this is a Primaris Marine, and let's come up with some fluff as to why these are new, and now we make more money. So I think the same thing can be said about these, is that, yeah, by the time you get to the point where you want a crunchy campaign, you've already got all your stuff. And yes, you'll spend more money, but will you spend as much money as those all those other new guys who are just now getting into well, it? Because they can just play one-off games and build their I'll answer that question by answering the Primaris thing. I, I, I agree with you, 100%. They should, my opinion, the reason why they didn't, the, when the Primaris came out, they should have just been regular Marines. 
And as a player, as a sorry, as a person who's been in the hobby for many years, who has a very large marine army, I would have bought Primaris and repainted my marines. So I mean, it doesn't have to be what what. One doesn't affect one does affect the other, but I mean, as a veteran, I'm I'm, I'm already invested. Anyway, I want that. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm down but you're not going to buy as much of it as somebody else. I think no, no. I, I I like you. I'm not talking anecdotally, like you. Yeah, no, veteran. I know, I'm I know. About veterans I'm, in general. I'm, I think I think majority of the people. Ah, yeah, it doesn't really matter. No, I don't think so because think I think so? I think they've proven it time and time again that when they you look at Dungeons and Dragons, the more they streamline their game, the more it sells. Yeah, we can talk about yep. that being thanks to things like Critical Role and other the the kind of this new market. I don't think that's actually it. I think it kind of because which one's first, right? I think it's because the system is good. If yeah. Critical Role started in fourth edition D and D was out, I doubt they would be playing fourth edition D and D. I think they'd they stick to their Pathfinder that they were doing before. But because fifth edition is out and it's such a slick rule set. And I agree. It is not nearly as crunchy as old editions of D and D. And that allows them to sell Colin more. Colin and I will have a discussion actually often. We'll have a discussion again tonight. Um, I think you're right. I think streamlining it, making it more acceptable to the masses, will get you more people. That's, that's just a given. I don't think it's debatable. What I wish would happen is that they did that, and then they released a supplement, the crunchy supplement for veterans. Even call it that. I just think that would be, you know, well, a, ne- a tier- ne- Necromunda for veterans. A tier system, right? Yeah, like here's the simple campaign, and here's... The but really good campaign. Wasn't that always, not always, wasn't that like the idea from Games Workshop for a while? They had like uh, open play, narrative play, and then match play was supposed to be the upper Sure, tier. but they've always, sim- they've been But simplified. now they're all the same. No, I don't think so, because uh, narrative play is supposed to be... How different, for Age of Sigmar, how different is a narrative play, or sorry, open play, narrative play, to match play? It's, There's a couple of things, but a lot less difference than it used to be. The rules-wise, the only big difference is that how you're supposed to organize your army, right? That in match play you have to do to the pitch. Well, the uh, spells are reduced to just like the match play rule. There's a few things. They just, they, they've those, those three systems. Now is really two rules. Maybe just one rules. It's, it's, yeah. it's now it's about, in Age of Sigmar. It's about army composition. If you're going to play match play, you have to follow an army composition. In narrative play, you do not. That's that's, that's basically yeah. it. The other thing. Yeah. Now the other thing. There's one other thing too. It's the scenarios you play. In match play. The scenarios are designed to try to be symmetrical. Whereas narrative play scenarios are usually purposely designed to be asymmetrical. Yeah. And that's really your difference here. And so this goes back to the conversation of what's narrative wargaming. And we're not going to get into all of yeah. that. But what I'm trying to say is that yeah. the company needs, I think they're they're doing the right thing to simplify things. I just wish they would also release the supplement for the crunchy veterans. I agree. And that, but so yeah. what we're basically talking about here, Ellie is that you're the one that gets to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's fun and unfortunate because it would be nice if they just had the system and you just got to play it and you got to go through that crunchiness. But that same crunchiness would have kept people away from playing it with you. I am sure of it. There would be some people who just, it would be too complex and they couldn't play it casually enough. Whereas you give them the casual version of Necromunda, it gets them into the game. And once they know the rules, then it's easier to introduce the crunchy stuff. Absolutely. So I, th- I think... Myself personally, I, I don't have to worry about having these tier systems as much or at all because I already get it at work. Right, exactly. You um, get somebody who designs the crunchy system like, for you. 
more time is one of my all-time favorite games level a small war bands and they level up and they gain things and people die i do that every time i do a campaign pretty much yeah. so i don't have to like i get my Mordheim fix in a mini war gaming whatever system campaign yeah and you get to provide that if you want to be a game that's master the thing exactly right well. so you get to you get to slowly introduce those things to people and you'll find the people who want exactly that i can't tell you how many times people have sent me their homebrewed rules for campaigns and stuff it's awesome i can't use most of them because they're written for their gaming group and i just don't want to use somebody else's i want to use my own it either needs to be official or it needs to be my own, or in some rare circumstances, like the Heralds of Ruin kill team rules. Yeah, we did while that kill team was crap. Um, <laughs> well, because it was just like, hey, play kill team. It's just uh, these here's here's a few rules that are so broken and they don't work. And then Heralds of Ruin puts hours, countless hundreds, thousands of hours as as a group effort and making a really solid rule set. That was a community one, right? Yeah. And See, that's rare, though. Blood Bowl did the same thing. Uh, a couple more games did the same thing. But then, and then Games Workshop incorporated those back into the main rules. Well, they, but that's smart to do so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's that's not normal. That's not what normally happens. And especially when you reintroduce a game like Necromunda that already existed, those old people, old people, those veterans are not going to want to be like, hey, let's get together as a community we're and the make old this. People. Yeah, I know we're the old people now. <laughs> They, they're not going to want to get together and be like, let's take this new edition and make it as awesome as the first edition. They're going to be like, no, we'll just play our first edition. If we like the new models, great. We'll use the new models and play our first edition rules. And I get that. So that's, that's, that's the hard thing. You're going to have to do most of this work. Now, for Aeronautica Imperialis, I would approach it. Steve gave a good, good, um, good answer to this. How do you approach that one? You can turn it into like a map-based campaign where you're fighting over resources. And so the progression comes not so much in your individual pilots as in your what you've conquered on the map. I'd also suggest look at their upgrade system and use it and maybe modify it a little bit. Just be careful not to overdo any of the upgrades because a game like that where it's a skirmish-sized game with only a few ships on the board, one of them getting a little too good can just ruin the experience for everybody else. Even a plus one to hit would be ridiculous. Would be, yes, because you're usually hitting on fives in that yeah. game, and so a plus one to hit is 50% better. That's why I think they do the reroll thing. I think rerolls is even too powerful, because a five-up reroll is actually more like a four-up in in essence. Actually, it's almost more like a three-and-a-half-up. They could Instead, you could give things like um, can reroll, and it's because they don't always get rerolls. They get to reroll once or twice per game, so you know that's not a big deal, but it could just be like, they gain an ability to reroll ones to hit, for example. Um, or yeah, I would stay away from the plus one things. That should be like, if you're doing a leveling system, for example, that would be like a level three or a level four or a level five one. upgrade. Uh, something as Warcry, Aeronautica Imperialis, even Kill Team, have, it's hard to kind of come up with an upgrade system that works. Kill Team, because there's so much variety, giving plus one strength is meaningless to some while it's ridiculous to others. Could you make... An Aeronautica Imperialis Crunchy? You would have to change the fundamental rules. Yeah. Because the game itself is very streamlined, which I like. Would you play it if like, it was like a, a fuel system where every maneuver used so much fuel, you know, like, like 30 points of fuel for heck the entire yeah. game? Oh, yeah, heck yeah. Yeah. But I also appreciate that I don't have to. But Too that, simple. That's a, that's a bigger audience. That's exactly. And I get that. It's the Call yeah. of Duty kind of uh, thing, right? Like, like people who've been playing computer games since computer games started coming out complain about computer games now being too generic. And there's a reason they're generic, because that's what sells. Um, you, you pay the price. Basically, we have to look to indie producers to create the crunchiness now. It's true. And you actually see that. You see that, like, in This Is Not a Test, for example, they do a pretty good job of creating a more 
traditional Necromunda Fallout kind of thing. Uh, in fact, without any without any oversimplification, the best way to describe this is not a test is Necromunda meets Fallout, and that is giving it praise, well, is not it... just saying it's a derivative. He when you read the system, it runs like Necromunda, but it's like in the Fallout universe. This is good then. Yeah, it's all, awesome. All we're getting is room for people to come in with other ideas then. But it's hard for us as many worrying that because now we're covering a game system well, that's not as important or not sorry not as important that's not as popular. Yeah. And so we need to adjust it for 40K. Like, it's, it's hilarious. Dave is doing a Warhammer 40K immersive narrative campaign that's Fallout-themed. And there's a Fallout miniatures game out there, but I can guarantee you that he'll fill the seats better by making it Warhammer 40K Fallout than using the Fallout rules. Because there's way more Warhammer 40K players out there who love Fallout yeah. than there are Warhammer 40k players out there who love Fallout, who play the Fallout. You think there are more? I don't know. I just don't know because I don't know how popular Fallout is. It's a, it's a video game. It's a generally a larger audience, a larger market than than miniatures. There's more Fallout fans than. But they're not than, watching us. Yeah, yeah. They're not watching us. That's the thing, right? So our audience just watches 40k. Our audience all the time. watches 40k a lot, and so to. But there's also a lot of that love Fallout or Res, the Resident Evil campaign, for example, that he did. Very successful. God, that one. It's so it sold awesome. out like instantly. And they came to play Warhammer 40k Resident Evil, which was, it was Resident Evil using... That one was tempting. I wanted to play that one. Right? <laughs> the Fallout one sounds great. They're playing a Terminator-themed one. And so... And, but there are miniature games associated with these that they could be playing instead, and yet it'll work better. Not because Warhammer 40k is a better game, but because it's more popular. And so you might have more. It's just, there's so there, much to consider with all of this. familiar with it. It's... You just need to have, just do what's fun. I can't emphasize that enough. So you're, you're thinking about that. all these these details, but just do what's fun. I guess to, to answer the question, and also it depends on how familiar familiar you and your group is with the game system, right? I mean, if they're very familiar with uh, Necromunda already, add the rules right away. But oh, if they're yeah. not, yeah. if they're not, then yeah, you do do it slowly. And go, you, you can find the PDF for the old Necromunda rules, and you can look through it. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to be able to incorporate it as is. It won't work. But it can give you some ridiculously fun ideas. I'd love the old one. Sorry, you, I interrupted. No, you. no, yeah, I, I, you, you, I'm good. I'm good. It's like it, it, we've already said it. It's like you, you, you tear it to your to your players. Yeah. How familiar they are. How how much crunch can they handle? And you give it to them slowly. You'll, I think you'll find that they'll be able to handle more than even some of them will say they can if you give it to them slowly. Yeah, yeah that is that too. So kind of. Um, Finishing off this whole thing, because I said I wasn't going to spend as much time in Necromunda or not Imperialist, but we've talked about it a lot. But in a, a generic question of how do you write rules and how do you adapt rules um, from existing sources? And, and I've had various levels of success doing this based on the different... I, I've, I've adapted rules from Necromunda, from Gorkamorka from Kill Team, from Forbidden Power, from Age of Sigmar, which is the one that we just did with the Dragontooth Labyrinth. I've, I'm trying to remember the very first time that I did the Death Watch campaign, the Augustine Station, and I came up with the idea for the rules. I'm trying to remember where I got the idea for that. Because which rule are you thinking of in particular? Just the whole building a squad and well, having... That was always, that was, that was uh, Space Hulk. No, that was the second one we did. Augustine Station was the first. But I mean, isn't that isn't that all of Death Watch? I mean, remember there's that that um, I know we both played it, the app game. What was it called? Space, not Space Marine. Oh, Death Watch. <laughs> you had your little um, Death Watch t- 
team of, I think you started with three guys and you got up to five and you played, oh, uh, like what's that game? Uh, the game you play all the time. Dawn of War? No, no, no. Um, Fallout? You, you, Skyrim? No. So XCOM. XCOM, X-com yeah. It was, now you remember? That was very, it had to be right around the same time. Was it based on XCOM? So, it might have been. Well, dude, we were playing. I try to remember. I actually don't I'm remember. I'm pretty sure it was you. We were, we, were, we were both playing the Death Watch game, which was basically XCOM. I never you played your space ring over. Oh, okay, so it wasn't you. No, I never played that game. Okay, I am trying. I, I actually don't remember the original inspiration for it because it kind of clicked. I know, for example, um, did the original Death Watch? Because okay, you know how they all had to choose a chapter tactic, and they all got a chapter tactic. What was that based off of? Death Watch. The computer game? No, that's the Death Watch. Did they used to do that? Because they don't get that anymore. Did it used to be that they would choose their chapter and they got certain? I don't think they did. Yeah, no, they, no, their did chapter, ma- their chapter mattered. Did it? I seem to remember that it did, but yet I can't remember if it did. <laughs> this is so long ago. We're talking years ago now. But oh, let me just put it this way: I, I, I was thinking because I thought for the longest time we were doing our narrative campaigns were always army versus army and. People had kept suggesting, saying, oh, try something that's just a small war band. And I'm always like, oh, that's not going to work. Okay. <laughs> Which is ironic because it works so much better. I think, okay, no, no. The, the rules weren't a part of it. You were looking for an upgrade system, which was more than going to be just gear. And that was going to be, um, uh, I'm an air quote here for those who can't see, type dependent. So your rule would upgrade like this and your warriors upgrade like this. Yeah. Uh, your wizards, whatever. But now we, we don't have that. We have space marines. Right. So then we had ultramarines and imperial fists. That was your way of branching off from the type. Maybe, yeah. Because I also had... Well, yeah. I, I don't, okay, you know what? I don't actually remember it fully. It's been so long, and I've done so many iterations of it that it's, it's all been lost in there. How long ago was that first one? Three years? Four years now? It's around now. This and, is the time of year that it came out. I want to say three or four years. many campaigns ago. Yeah, and so basically the idea... I'm like, oh, let's do something that's more warband related. We actually had three players in that one. It was you, Dave, and Quirk. And we tried to create a five-man war band, and it had to be a leader. It was based off... Okay, there was basically some kill team elements to it that it was inspired by by kill team. Because, yeah, because it was like, because you need a leader and your specialist, yeah. right? Because you were... That's right, because you were only allowed some specialists. So you it was had, after we did our kill team to, campaign, then? You had to do a couple... No, I don't think so. But, I mean, based off of the idea of kill team, I think is where the ideas came from. Is you had to have a couple generic, just vanguard veterans, basically... And then you could have like a Terminator and a Psyker, or you could have an Apothecary. And one guy could have a heavy weapon. One guy could have a heavy weapon, and he sucked because I had. I had oh, you're, you had a chart. You have two from Terminator, Apothecary, Chaplain, or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, it was like zero to one of these. But you had to have, to you had to have these. two minimum. It was two plus. It, it, was, it was a one liter, two plus yeah. troops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then zero to one Terminator, zero to one Psykers, zero to one Jump Pack. Uh, and the if, and basically of your leaders, if you chose the leader to have a jump pack that used up that zero to one jump pack, so you couldn't have two jump packs, and that system actually has mostly stayed. I, I've I've changed it a lot. I've also just kind of let the players just put Good their warbands, and and then I came out with the upgrade system. You know what? There's actually one very important rule. I was thinking just as you're saying this that I don't think I brought up in your campaigns, especially your small skirmish ones. Don't ever include a rule. That something is better or does something if you don't move. Yeah, yeah, you want mobility. 
Yeah. yeah. Having, having sucked, right? Yeah. That's why in the later Death Watch campaigns, if you the heavy was one of the classes. Yep. And if you chose it, he automatically started the ability. Could, at least now it At least now it's not that big a deal. But yeah, that was all snap firing. Yeah. But like we had just models just staying back, not participating for the entire uh, game because they didn't want to snap fire for a turn or two. So we're we're going we're talking about all sorts of things here. What I'm <laughs> trying to get at is how writing and adapting rules, you you've got to kind of pour through all sorts of sources and if you're if you're brand new to this this can sound very overwhelming and all i can say is it comes with time and and practice and even my worst ones have been fun and so it's you have to remember that like my very first death watch campaign were the worst death watch campaign rules i ever wrote i'm not saying they were bad i'm saying they were the worst because i learned from them i learned things like if a guy has a heavy weapon, he basically is useless because everybody else is moving forward to grab objectives and to, to progress through this dungeon-like thing, and he's stuck in the back, or he's snap firing back in 6th edition. And and so I, so I changed that rule. I changed it so a heavy could move and shoot without any penalties. That was just a built-in level 1 thing. And each each time I we played, I'd find new things. I'm like, oh, okay, it would be really fun to have this. And if you know, it's like the Orc Death Watch. It's a combination of a lot of those where... Each team had a lot of ways to be mobile. You had the psyker who could teleport. You had, and you, but you also had the mech Mobility who, could, was who could teleport somebody, and that really changes the dynamics of the games. But that comes with experience. I had to do it a lot of times to kind of get to know that. So after, you, just, you, you have to just get started. After you write your rules, if you think your rules are perfect, you're wrong. Oh yeah, there's no way they're perfect. just know that like you're gonna have to adjust things eventually. Probably not in the campaign. Probably maybe after the campaign. You're not going to nail it on the head the first time around. How much time do we have left? All right, we've got about 20 minutes left. A little less than that. Okay, so I think that's enough to cover that. If you have comments or questions more about that, uh, please leave them here on YouTube or on Facebook, wherever you happen to be watching. If you're listening to this as a podcast and have nowhere to leave a question, you can email me, Matthew with two T's at miniwargaming.com. I read every comment and email I get. I don't reply to them all because I don't have time. But uh, like I, I use them for future material in this podcast. So I really appreciate your comments. So please make sure to leave them and we'll cover them. So with our remaining time, let's see. I'm going to wait till next episode to do another scenario review because last episode I did a scenario review and we didn't have time to go over some of the questions and comments in general. So I want to just, uh, what we'll do for the last few minutes is uh, I'm just going to read a few comments from Facebook or emails or from YouTube, and we'll just kind of quickly, we'll, we'll, we'll quickly answer these. Or maybe they'll develop and I'll read one and they'll take the rest <laughs> of 20 minutes. This is just kind of the open Q&A period. That doesn't necessarily cover a specific question. So here's one from Daniel Jefferson, who left a comment on Facebook. And we could probably talk an entire episode on this, but uh, we'll see what we can do quickly. How to... So basically, this is uh, I put up a post saying... Give me ideas for topics. And his idea was how to keep it balanced, where clearly one faction is superior to another. We had a problem with Eldar against Nids in 7th. Yeah, no kidding. 7th Nids were awful. Didn't want the mission to be pure handicap on the Eldar player. We had restrictions on types of units or amounts he could bring, but still wanted the army to feel fluffy. So how do we keep balance where clearly one faction is superior to another? So this is more an issue in the army versus army ones. The ones that are war bands where I'm just GMing, I just that's easy. Yeah, that's I just kind of throw I throw a small amount on the table, and then I if it's army versus army, you gotta build a scenario 
that's going to force the Eldar into doing something. Force the stronger one into doing something. That they don't like doing. That they don't like do- Exactly. They don't want to do. Like, typically, um, Eldar want to, like, uh, shoot you, move away. Shoot you, move away. Uh, make it so they, they need to keep moving forward or something. And they will be able to adapt. Trust me. Like, they're, Eldar can adapt. They can, you can force them forward. And sometimes you'd have to just admit that one's better than the other. Yeah. And give the handicap. Um, now, but I mean, like you can make an you can make an elder list even back in seventh edition where you uh, narratively forced them into taking a lot of melee or like uh, combat units that can really balance the deal. I think a lot of that can be done in scenario. If again you're doing the non games master version, right? Games master version, your problem solved. Games master will take care of it. Just army versus army scenario can really scenario and um, well scenario can encompass how you how you make how you make your army. This comes down a lot to the players as well. If you have, like, for example, the Eldar player is not liking the fact that you're trying to play him down, then you're going to have a problem. See, there's the, there's the big struggle with that one, too, because you can have an Eldar player who, who doesn't know, like, who thinks his... Or he's, he's not brought just a Eldar, tone. Let's, just, let's just clarify. We're not no, talking no, no. about Eldar I'm here. talking about Anything. we're using that example. Like, you can have any player. My, I've been guilty of this myself. Where I'm like I, I'm bringing a tone down list. This is a very weak list, and the opponent's looking like you're gonna you're gonna beat me top of turn one. That's a really powerful list against me. But the player just can't get it through. The, like they're gonna be like, no, this is really weak, because I can do more powerful things. Just because I right. can't, because I can be even better than that's this. the thing. That's, it's, just, it's a struggle you're always gonna have. We've all been guilty of it. Well, not everyone, but I mean, I've been guilty of it myself. It's a, it's a, it's a struggle. Yeah, no, that's that's normal. So, to answer your question, there, Daniel, can I call you Dan? I like to call you Dan, Danny. 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 Um, so, Danny, to answer your question, to keep balance, you first off need to have players who are willing to make the changes. Second, sometimes you just have to admit that one is more powerful than the other and have them play down. And third, Steve's suggestion was a really good one, play scenarios. Like, I found, for example, that... Uh, play scenarios that basically help to balance it. I found, for example, that... In older editions of 40k, I always had a hard time against like Tau. I was always been a Tyranid player, right? So Tau would just set up their gun line. Imperial Guard would set up their gun line, and I try to get across the table. They'd gun me off the. I'd be dead. And then I think it was seventh edition that introduced the Maelstrom of War, where there's six objectives around the table, and you're drawing cards every turn, and you score objectives every turn, and boom! All of a sudden, I was dominating those players yeah. because yeah, you're killing me, but in the meantime, I'm racking up points because you're just sitting on your butt. And you're not achieving any of so your objectives. A hard matchup, a Tau gun line versus a Terran, this is the seventh edition I'm talking, a Terranid just gribbly running forward. Tau's going to win probably every game, right? But you also swing too far the other way and do like, there's a thick fog on the table. Line of sight is reduced to 15 inches and you're minus one to hit. All of a sudden, Tau's probably not going to have a chance. You can swing too far the other way as well. A fun thing that you can try out is uh, the twist cards from yeah. the open war deck. They will frustrate the heck in such good ways yep. out of players because they will throw down things that all of a sudden it's just like, oh boy, that really changes the balance of the game. You can, you know what, if you want to write a scenario, you can just grab your, your uh, open war cards and throw down the cards and like look at it and like write the scenario, shuffle again, throw down the cards. You can come up with really good ideas with just yeah. those cards. And if you throw down a, a, a scenario that's like a last garbage, then you just you shuffle, you can try again. Yeah, or <laughs> you just decide to throw three twists on the table. Yeah, because yeah. a lot of those will, will nerf range stuff. Um, it's even worse Which than is, war cry. Oh, like really? Warcry, the twist cards are nasty for ranged, you guys. And if if you bring them, it could be it can reduce your range to three. Good range inches. has always been really really powerful in skirmish games. And yeah. actually actually in mentor games. Yeah, as but well. if you bring like an all ranged army and they says you reduces your range of weapons to three, and their minimum range is three, which means they can't fire, because it says in the rules that if your minimum if you have a minimum range, they have to fire at something farther away from the minimum range. 
So if you have a three inch minimum range, they have to be more than three inches away. But then the card says you can't shoot more than three inches away. So literally you can't shoot your weapon. That kind of sucks. So it's, I think it's a little adapt, harsh. I think adapt. I should have dropped it down to five <laughs> inches or six inches, not three. But besides the point, the twist cards for even the Warcry twist cards, using it for regular Age of Sigmar, although they have their own open war cards as well, uh, the 40k twist cards, those can be ways to kind of throw in these random elements. So think of it that way. I think, honestly, out of all the ideas we have here, uh, Steve's idea for letting the scenario help you balance, it's probably the best one because it will work even on on players who refuse to admit that they're imbalanced. You can be like, okay, well, let's play a scenario like this then. Or terrain can really make a difference. If you have a, a side that's really good because they're super shooty, but they're slow, you can throw more terrain on the table to cover and block line of sight, and that forces them to have to move and be I find less you can also help out with the problem um, if the, again, I'll use the Eldar player. Uh, if you tell him you're meant to lose this game, but I want you to try your best to win, the scenario stacked against you, it'll be easier on him as well. Yeah, um, there's that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sometimes it's nice to have one side be really hopeless, and yet have some sort of out to be able to win the scenario. Okay, how much time? Oh yeah, we have time. We have time. Let's keep going. Joe Green from Facebook. Joe, I'm gonna call you Joey. Joey asked ways to track progress. So remember the suggestion for things. So he wants ways to track progress over the course of the narrative as well as ways to level up, for lack of a better term, all while keeping the whole thing balanced. Now, we'll talk about the leveling up next week. Joey? I can call you, I can call you Joey. Jay, Jay, Jay. So ways to track progress over the course of narrative. Out of all the different kinds that you've played, what has been your favorite way to track progress? Now, and that can include leveling systems, because we won't go into detail about writing good leveling systems. But when you think of all the different narrative campaigns, which has been, to you, the most interesting, the most fun? Can you, can you define track progress a little bit better then? Uh, I don't want to give you ideas because I don't want to answer the question for you. Okay, that's fair. Like, for example, okay, I'll, I'll just give you ideas. For example, leveling systems, so you guys level up. Well, we've always or, had that. You've, no, and no, you've all, what? no, definitely not. Old campaigns, the only thing that was tracked was the narrative of the characters. Oh, whatever. Those like are like Commissar Khrushchev, for example. He never got any special rules. He, no, you're right. He just was cool because of what happened. But then once we started doing levels... That was that my was, favorite. That was, was gems? Quite, was gems? Gems was my from favorite. I don't know Death, why. I don't know Death why. Then. Yeah. So, so we had it's basically idea from Diablo. That's what it was. Diablo. Yeah. Just a gem system. We had these uh, little soul soul gems uh, that gave you uh, special abilities that we just uh, and you could choose helmet, armor, yeah, exactly. weapon, shield, just like Diablo. Uh, just, yeah, exactly. That's where I got the idea. That from. was um, that was my favorite system by far. It was it was simple. It was very customizable. Things got cool very cool and powerful and it was easy to paint on these gems and then paint over them if i need to remove the gem or something without having to do a whole lot of uh, chopping up the miniature work. that was our response because the death watch typically you find random weapons and then you'd have to convert your models to have those weapons which was super cool which but doesn't really, really work, work with, with the, it doesn't yeah no it doesn't work with age of sigmar it's like oh you found an elvish halberd yeah. of fire the skill like, he's like this it's, it looked tiny in his hands he's like oh you mean a knife you mean this little knife our last one um, upgrade trees. By the end of the campaign, you just pretty much had. It's like this is. I know I'm gonna like. I'm gonna put this. You got everything. I had everything. Yeah. The gem one was very random. I had to find them and place them. I didn't have. I didn't look at my my character sheet and be like, all right, I'm gonna level up today probably. I'm gonna roll a couple dice. I hope I get this one. No, I, the gems was my favorite because I never knew. This is what I found today. Oh, that'll be good on so and so. That's why I love the gems the most. So that was Watchers and Death. Here we are. 
And I even have a random gem generator that probably doesn't work on the new site. No, it doesn't. Okay, I gotta tell Jim about that. <laughs> but the rules for the gems, I think, are available in the Dropbox. They're thing. a color. Hold on, I'm loading it right now. Yeah, there was a color and there was a quality, yeah. just like Diablo. Like, <laughs> like honestly, that was the whole point. Uh, come on. And you me. can adapt the gem system to any game system. Dang it, I don't have the. There was the upgrades with the Watchers of Death too. Yeah, I don't have the gems actually written down. You're supposed to use the random gem Yeah, they did but, have a but, but the gems uh, that doesn't work right now because we still need to incorporate that. Um, yeah, so essentially the way yeah, it worked is there was a color and there See. was a quality. And so I think there was like three levels of quality. And so like if you – I don't remember what they were, but for example, the red gems – it's just like Diablo. Like if you put it in your helmet, it gives you plus one intelligence. If you put it in your sword, it adds fire damage. If you put it in your shield, you're resistant to fire. What I'd like to see if we did that one again – and you also had the level ups where I can roll the chart and this is what I'm going to get. I'm going to have my, my range weapon sit on whatever. I'd rather see something like this guy's his static chart of leveling up is if he has three red gems in his chest – He'll gain this ability if it's three blue gems. Gain this ability, so I can choose the gems and the color, and more, more, just more random and more customizable. Yeah, I, I don't want to look at my character sheet and be like, okay, by the end of the campaign, this was I know what this is going to do, so I'm going to get this many level ups. Yeah, because uh, I know that, for example, when I, I remember the first time I played Fallout Three, the computer game, your max level is level twenty, and in order when you got to level twenty, there were so many things that you couldn't have upgraded because there's just you just there wasn't enough levels to get all the upgrades. Okay, that's good. And then they came out with the expansion that let you go to level 30. And once you got to level 30, everything was at 100% pretty much. Ah. And all of a sudden, the replayability of the game went... Yeah. I didn't want to play again because I would play the game and I'd be like, this time I'm going to be a really good sniper. Right. And I have to give up my ability to do this other stuff. I can't be a good sniper and a good talker and a good lock picker and a good hacker and good at carrying lots of stuff and good at bartering and good at medicine. I have to pick like two when or three things. When you're good at everything. When you're it's good, it's, just... it kind of gets boring, right? Yeah. Uh, same thing with like Skyrim. I love Skyrim. I've put hundreds of hours into Skyrim. But um, there's no cap to the level. And so I always start off as one archetype, usually assassin. And then, you know, you kind of max out at that by levels 30 to 40. And then all of a sudden you start multi-classing. And by level, I remember I actually played one character to level 70 to 80. And by the end of it, he was good at everything. And I got, and it, you know, obviously I've been playing the game a lot too. I also got bored of that that way. But there's something about a level up system where by the time you're finished the game, you've gotten everything it has to offer you. Now, I'm not as concerned about that with our narrative campaigns because I know we're not going to replay them. And so I'm not worried about replayability. So it's more... Well, we go back... What do you mean by replay them? We go back to some of the settings. And I usually change the rules. <coughs> and I change the upgrade yeah. trees by that point too. And so the replayability is in the fact that I change it. So when I look at that <coughs> upgrade tree for the guy, I'm like, I do intend for him to get all these things. The question is, what order do you get the things? Yeah, well, I know, what I'm saying is that only changes the mid-games. Yeah. By the end of the game, I know what this guy's exactly. going to do. Exactly. I get it. It's less yeah. exciting. Now, how would you compare that to, say, a map-based campaign like what we've done. We've done it a couple map -based times. Map-based is fun, too. I, I, I enjoy that's map. Tra that's tracking progress, but, I mean, too. That one works... I think map works better um, with multiple players. If you're going to have one-on-one, -on -one, I don't want... I don't care about a map. I don't care. There um, needs to be third parties yeah. to make the map important. Yeah, if, it's if, like playing Risk with two players. It just doesn't work. You've got to throw in a third party. I mean, you party. can, because one, you're actually playing against another person. But like the way we do things, we have a dungeon, ma a games master, a game master, and a player. If we do a map campaign, 
I know I'm not. I'm playing against the game master, but I'm not. Right. So the map can map, map is also not important. Yeah. Map is map. A map campaign becomes a linear progression game because I'm trying to get to this part of the map, or I need to conquer all these. And sometimes the game master might take this one. That's just the A I take. It's nothing to go back. It's very linear. It's not. And now obviously, there's nothing action. restricting you from doing a combination of all these things. So you can take your favorite elements from each of them. You can have a gem-based upgrade system with a random item generator, with a map as well, with all sorts of upgrade trees. Um, the thing is, like, like I said, when I create rules for it, I'm not concerned about it being playable by tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. I do release the rules so that you can take them and adapt them however you want because I think it's important to share that kind of stuff because it helps the community as a whole. I'm not saying that my rules are the best way to play it, although I've got a lot of people that email me afterwards saying, hey, I played your Death Watch campaign. It was so much fun. I'm like, great. Nice. But I hope, I hope that... You, but I also get the question saying, am I allowed to do this? And I'm like... Sure. Are you, are you the game master? Yeah, yeah. They, I have a player who wants to do an all-Terminator Deathwatch army. Are they allowed to do that? Because your thing says it can only have one Terminator. And I'm like, well, then, dude, you're the game master. Yeah. <laughs> Say yes. That sounds awesome. Yeah, just make sure. To, the only thing is, my system's going to fall apart because theory. I haven't designed all the upgrade charts for the heavy Terminator. That's the thing. That's the fear, you right? Need, you need, like, the heavy Terminator. You would need the close combat Terminator. You need the one that can teleport Terminator. We're gonna do the Psyker Terminator, the Chaplin Terminator, the Apothecary Terminator. We're gonna do a Space Hulk one where it's just all Terminators. Right, but they're different enough. Yeah, that it's not just they're not all just running around with two up saves. Apothecary, heavy weapon, librarian, and regular guy. Right. Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Brother Jeff, go first. <laughs> Got two purpose. <laughs> Turns out to be the champion. Right? He's an aggressor. He's just aggressor. Yeah, I get to do primary stuff that totally changes it. Gives you a bunch of different options. So, yeah, keeping track progress. Now, other, I'm not sure if your question, Joey, Joe, Jim. was... Jim? Can I call you Jim? No. Uh, no, it's Joe. Joe Green was, like, how to literally track progress, like, write it down. Because I think that's, that seems pretty obvious. You just write it down. Like, you have one person kind of keep track of it. In an online document and a piece of paper and back of a napkin. I don't think that was your question, so I'm just going to kind of leave that part there. I think we're out of time. There's no best, I'll say. I think I, my favorite was the gem, but I mean, it, if we did a gem every time, I get I probably get bored of it. I like how it's different every time, or a little different every time. You definitely see elements carried over from one to another. Yep. Especially, it depends on how lazy yep. I'm feeling too, and I'm writing the rules. Sometimes I'm just like, I need to write these rules fast. What worked before? These. Okay, just put them in there. Like for example, the Shattered Imperium. That was a super lazy way to. Do <laughs> you just looked at the models. I looked at the models for what they had. I don't. I know that wasn't lazy. That was cool. Uh, <laughs> what the upgrade trees was in the past i'd written generic upgrade trees that they all could share from but i noticed that things didn't always work out the way i wanted to because it did unanticipated results and so for the shattered imperium one i'm like i'm gonna do a super easy one it's gonna be a d10 upgrade so you roll a d10 and you get these upgrades something you can get more than once and the first few are just gonna be generic plus one attacks plus one wounds plus one toughness plus one strength that kind of stuff, plus one weapon skill, plus one blizzard skill, and then like three or four special rules that have to do with this guy specifically to do with what he's good at. Like the sniper could get the rule that he could double tap if he stood still. Um, on, and they also got a rule that he always can't have a standing still. Yeah. So if you combine those two, all of a sudden you could move up and it, boom, boom. It was minus one to shoot when you double tapped, even if he stood still. So that was always, there was always a trade. Do I want to fire twice or do I really want it to shot? And and things like that. So that was a super easy way because I didn't have to come up with generic range specialist rules, but I still think that Death Watch one... Well, I they... think I can maybe answer this question 
well, I can guide you the answer better. Isn't there a thing that you used, a program that you used that created War Scrolls or Data Slates? No, I had to create that myself. Okay, because that's probably what he's looking for. That might be the thing he's asking. No, I don't think so. You don't think so? No, he said, over the course of the narrative, how do you track progress? Well, that's how, that's how we did it, right? You created a data slate for every one of the characters. Yeah, yeah. And as they got something, you you'd would scratch it, it and then you'd re- At first, we were reprinting the updated ones, but then we'd scratch it off and rewrite over it. But I mean, having a visual aid per guy. If you're doing a Warband specific one, right? Like, yeah. where each individual is important. Yeah, no, I think he's more talking about, like, what kind of upgrade system do you do to track progress? But who knows? We've answered it a well, lot of different ways, so hopefully, okay. hopefully one we answer hopefully it for you. Is the thing. We're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us this week for the game, Wargaming Game Master. Next week, I think, we're going to talk about reward and upgrade systems, but we've kind of already talked about that. And then I've, we're supposed to talk about maintaining balance. We've already <laughs> talked about you that. You can't. Next episode. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> they just do your best. So I don't know exactly what next week's episode is going to be about. Um, I'd like to talk more about reward and upgrade systems, but... We'll see if I have enough material to really cover it because we just talked about that quite a bit right here in a short period of time. Gave you a, a big data dump of ideas. So we'll see. We'll see what happens next week. But we'll be talking more about narrative wargaming as usual on the Wargaming Game Master. Thank you, Steve, for joining me today. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next week. Happy wargaming. <laughs>